I love reading Matthew's account of things because he was an eyewitness along with John. He saw the events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. He writes with such detail. And that's one of the reasons I love reading his resurrection account of what happened that first Easter morning. Because he writes with such detail. He knew these people that told this story. He was there and saw the resurrected Christ. And this is the way Matthew recorded for us the wonders of that day, that first Easter morning. Chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, he's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Let's pray together. Lord, all the efforts through the centuries can't hide the truth. Jesus, you lived God in human flesh. You died on a cross to pay for my sin and the sin of the world. Having paid that price, you were buried in a tomb, but the grave couldn't hold you. Three days later, you rose again victorious. You conquered sin, death, and the grave, a divine explosion. And since that time, everyone who has believed has felt the transforming power of the Son of God coming alive in them as we put our hope and trust in you and you alone for our salvation. So today, God, as we open up this word, as we relive this story again through Matthew and the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll teach us. It is your voice we will hear so that we may know that the divine explosion of life that Sunday morning is the same explosion of life that comes to everyone who believes. And we'll thank you, God, for all that you'll show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. There are some events in history that are so powerful that when they explode in the course of human events, all attempts to deny their reality will prove foolish but it doesn't stop people from trying to deny them. One of those explosive events was the Jewish Holocaust. From 1941 to 1945, in a collaborative effort led by Nazi Germany, 
Two-thirds of the Jewish population of Europe was wiped out. Six million men, women, and children exterminated in concentration camps. Years of unbearable torture, starvation, terror, and experimentalism as human beings were treated with less dignity than laboratory rats. And we need to remember such atrocities and to learn from them for the sake of those who died and that those things will never be repeated. And yet, despite all of that, there are still some advocating that the Holocaust never took place, or at least not as we have been told. 19 years ago, a British historian by the name of David Irving began a movement brought on by a lawsuit in a British court to put forth and defend his view that the Holocaust never happened, or at least not the way we're told. Irving is the leading apologist for a growing number of people labeled Holocaust deniers, who believe Hitler never knew anything about the Holocaust, Jews were not killed in gas chambers at Auschwitz, and the number and causes of concentration camp deaths, camp deaths has been greatly exaggerated. When the trial was over, and what a trial it was, British justice and judge Charles Gray ruled deliberately that Irving deliberately misrepresented and manipulated historical evidence, motivated by a desire to present events in a manner consistent with his own ideological beliefs. No objected fair-minded historian, the judge said, would have had serious cause to doubt that gas chambers at Auschwitz and elsewhere operated on a substantial scale to kill hundreds of thousands of Jews. Irving lost the case, obviously, because you're dealing with facts here that no amount of ideology can change. And what's even more powerful was the judge read his decision with Holocaust survivors sitting in the courtroom as living proof that the reality of what they endured cannot be denied. Are there really people who would go to such great lengths to try to convince the world that such a tragic and explosive event as the Jewish Holocaust never took place? Yes, there are people who would do that. There are people who do that, and we shouldn't be surprised. Because people have been trying to do that very same thing for centuries in regards to the most explosive event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest and most important event in human history. Let me say that again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest and most important event in human history. Which is why I'm embarrassed to tell you that at age 25, I was living in America, thinking I was a Christian, coming to every Easter time and again, having no idea of who Jesus was, no idea what a resurrection was, no idea what Easter was about, and no idea of the greatest news in human history. How does that happen? How in the world are you 25 years old in America thinking you're a Christian and you have never heard what the resurrection is about? It's not by accident. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is greater than even his atoning sacrifice on a cross. Jesus said and Paul confirmed that his death on the cross would prove vain and those who put their faith in Christ would be pitied if there was no resurrection. 
At least on three occasions, Jesus took the disciples aside and plainly told them, as he did in Luke 18, verse 31, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again. But even in the days of the Apostle Paul, there were still people perpetuating the lie that the resurrection never happened. And so when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he told them, you don't have the option of not believing. Because if there's no resurrection of Christ, there is no hope for humanity. In fact, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Do you see what Paul is telling him? You guys don't have the option of saying there's no resurrection. Because you can't be a Christian and deny the resurrection. In fact, you don't even have hope if there's no resurrection. Because if there's no resurrection, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Christianity is a hoax. More than that, we who are the witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, we're all found to be liars because we told you there is a resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, then your faith is futile. You aren't saved. You're still in your sins. More than that, people who have died believing this stuff without a resurrection are lost. And if you're a Christian and you've put your hope in a resurrection that isn't real, you are among all people on earth to be pitied. People, then Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the words that in my opinion are the most powerful and assuring and comforting in all the Bible. But, he said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Everything has changed because the resurrection is true. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God, all of that proven by the resurrection. By his life and death, he declared every other religion to be false. Every other approach to God to be bankrupt. That he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God. Is it any wonder Satan tried so hard to cover that up? To discredit it? To deny it? To conceal it? The truth of the resurrection? To keep it from as many people, as many nations, as many generations as possible? Matthew said it was Sunday morning and the enemies of Jesus were still gloating over what they thought was their final victory over the man they hated. For three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus had lived, moved, and taught among them. He healed their sick, raised their dead, stilled their storms, fed their hungry, and conquered their demons. But he also called them to account. He confronted their sin. He exposed their hypocrisy. 
And he declared that he was God in human flesh, the only way to God, the way, the truth, and the life. And they hated him for it. And so they arranged an arrest, carried out a mock trial, pressured the Roman governor, and carried out a great, the greatest crime ever foisted on an innocent man. They nailed him to a cross. But with the deed done, they couldn't rest because they were still haunted by the words that Jesus had spoken time and again. Kill me, he said. Bury me in a tomb. Three days later, I'll rise again. So this is what they did. Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. A tomb was a cave. If you go to Israel today, you'll still see them all over the place. One entrance in. Once the body was placed inside, and there were usually several ledges inside on the bigger ones where multiple bodies could be placed over time, and then a huge stone was rolled in place to guard the entrance. They went to Pilate and they said, you know what, that deceiver said he would rise again on the third day. We don't want the bodies to get stolen. We don't want there to be a greater deception. So help us. Pilate said, you make it as secure as you know how. So not only was this huge stone rolled in place, it would take several people to move. But they sealed it. They put a cord across it and sealed it with a Roman seal. Death to break that. And then they posted a guard, probably a Roman quadrant guard. If it was, there were 16 of them. Four groups. Guys standing back to back, side to side. So they're looking in all four directions. Four groups like that around the tomb. So no one could approach without being seen. Make the tomb as secure as you know how. <laughs> but early Sunday morning, something happened. That would forever change the world in eternity. There was a divine explosion. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. A divine explosion of life because stones and seals and guards and death can't keep God in a grave. Jesus was alive. He exploded out of the tomb. People, the angel came down and moved the stone not to let Jesus out so that you and I could see in. Matthew 28, verse 5, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Can you see them? They ran to tell the disciples. Then Jesus appeared to them, confirming the message of his resurrection as being true. Matthew 28, verse 9. 
Suddenly Jesus met them, the women. Greetings, he said. It's always cracked me up. These ladies just told by an angel who rolled away a stone, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Go tell the others. They're on there running and Jesus meets them and he goes, greetings. <laughs> That's it. Just, matter of fact, I'm alive. No big deal. And it said they came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. They held on to him. They touched him. They saw him. They heard him. He was alive. And then he sent them off with a comfort and a commission. He said in verse 10, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And no sooner had the women left when the panic-stricken guards got up and thought, what in the world are we going to do? You see, Roman law demanded that a soldier who allowed a prisoner to escape while he was on duty could be executed. How in the world were they going to explain to their authority, to their commanding officer, and to the Roman governor? Uh, the guy we were guarding was dead, uh, but he got away. <laughs> so they had to do something. So... Matthew 28, verse 11, Matthew said, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Now, I would love to have been there for this one. They go to the chief priests and the guys, and they say, you ain't going to believe this, but you know that earthquake this morning? We all felt it, the violent earthquake that shook the place. That was at the tomb. And I'm telling you, an angel came down out of heaven, grabbed that stone, rolled it aside, and sat on it. There was an explosion of life. Jesus is gone. He said, look inside. He ain't there. He, he's, he's alive. The religious leaders immediately knew they had a, they had a problem. But instead of acknowledging the truth, instead of standing in awe of God's power, instead of admitting their sin, instead of admitting they were fighting against God and falling on their faces to worship this Jesus, as all of us should do today when you know the truth of the resurrection. Instead, they hatched another lie. Matthew 28, verse 12, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a, a plan. You know, I read this stuff and I think, when are these people going to learn they're not going to win? When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night, stole them away while we were asleep. All of you? Really? That's the best you can come up with? Verse 15. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. To what very day? To the very day Matthew's writing this gospel. To the very day under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's recording the details that took place that Easter morning. To this very day. Some 35 to 50 years, depending on the dating of Matthew's gospel, some 35 to 50 years after these events. 35 to 50 years later, that lie is still being told around Jerusalem. There was no resurrection. The disciples stole the body while we were sleeping. But see, there's an even bigger problem for these resurrection deniers. The plan's not going to work. It's the same problem that David Irving found when he 
ran into that British courtroom trying to prove that the Holocaust never happened. See, there was a huge problem in the courtroom. It was filled with Holocaust survivors who were living testimonies to the reality of what had taken place. How do you convince people Jesus is still dead and there's no resurrection when the dead person who isn't dead is walking around Jerusalem in full view of everybody? He appeared to the women, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to the disciples gathered in the upper room on two successive Sunday nights. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me. We ate with him, we traveled with him, we learned from him. Over the next 40 days, he was seen by hundreds. And then we watched him ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives. People, I've stood there on the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended into heaven. You are doing it in full view of the city of Jerusalem. This was not done in secret. And the Bible says he slowly rose from their presence and was taken into heaven. And as they stood there, angels said, why are you looking at this? He's coming back just the way you saw him go. He's coming back here to this spot. He's returning again to establish his kingdom. Jesus is alive. Those who saw him, those who heard him, those who touched him, those who knew he was alive refused to be silenced. Truth cannot be denied. And so men like Peter and James and John and Paul and hundreds through the ages have given their lives to be witnesses, suffering and dying for this truth. People, you're not going to give your life for a hoax or somebody's invention or manufactured religion. These people were willing to die to defend this truth. Jesus is alive. It's the heartbeat of the gospel. It's the good news. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, when Paul was hearing that there were people who were saying they didn't know the gospel or what to believe, he reminded them in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received, he said, I passed on to you as of first importance. People, if you don't hear anything else today, don't miss this. Because this is the message, the most important message ever given. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then in verse 11, he said, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you have believed. This is what you've believed. You see, the disciples refused to be silenced because they knew that what they had seen was true. 
And so even at the cost of their own lives, they preached the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And they did a good job. Because you see, truth cannot be destroyed, nor can it be killed, and it lived on in them, and it passed all the way through the centuries, touching millions along the way who also believed. And they passed it on and told others. And that sequence of people telling the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the good news of the gospel, eventually in the 1970s reached two black men who were willing to reach across a whole bunch of barriers at the time to share the good news of the gospel with an old white boy like me. And when they told me, Larry, do you know your sins have been paid for? Do you know that Jesus died in your place on the cross? Do you know that God is forgiving you? Do you know that Jesus was buried in a tomb and three days rose again? And Easter is the good news that he conquered sin, death, and the grave for you, and he's alive. He's offering you hope, forgiveness, and eternal life. And if you'll believe that, you will be saved. You don't have to fear death anymore. You don't have to worry about your sins anymore. Jesus Christ is alive. People, do you realize what good news that is for a guy who knows he's a sinner, a guy who's afraid of death and has no hope? It's the best news I ever heard. You know what? I believed it. I believed it. And I can tell you now with confidence, it's true. Jesus died on a cross for my sins and your sins. He was buried in a tomb and three days later he rose again. He is alive. He's the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God. And people, that is the good news of Easter Sunday. That's the good news of Easter So... If you were the devil opposed to the truth and seeking to keep as many people as possible locked in sin, death, and hell, wouldn't you do all you could to keep people from believing the truth? Of course you would. That's what he did. He's good at it. But if you knew the gospel was true, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, that he conquered sin, death, and the grave, your sins were forgiven, your grave has been vanquished, that if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and him alone, You'll be saved from your sin and you'll be given eternal life and you'll live with God forever. If you knew that and you believe that, wouldn't you want to tell other people that good news too? Of course you would. Of course you would. And so many of them did. That's why I'm a Christian today. Because they passed it along to me. And you know what? Today I'm passing it along to you. Because there's a good chance that some of you may be here today who are just like me. Greatest news that ever hit human history, and you had no idea what it was about, but now you do. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. In fact, it makes every other religion false and every other approach to God bankrupt. Now, in our pluralistic, syncretistic world, you may have a hard time hearing that because we want a lot of options. We want to believe that every religion is the same, and they all lead to the same place, and it doesn't matter what you believe. People, let me tell you as frankly as I can. Whoever's pumping that junk is lying to you. That is a lie. All religions are not the same. They don't all end up in the same place, and you can't have any way to God you choose. There's only one option. Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. He was buried in a tomb and rose again the third day. He's the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God. 
That's the gospel. And Jesus proved it by his resurrection. You see, don't be confused. I've shared this at every Easter, and I'll share it again. If you've heard it before, it bears repeating. If you haven't heard it before, it might help you. Do not be confused by the multitude of religious confusion out there. Don't let it confuse you. All the religions of the world except four are just pure philosophy. They were invented by men. They made up rules. They made up gods and systems to go with it. You and I could invent better religions today than most of what the world is slaving under. And the ones we would invent would be just as worthless as the ones that are already there. All the religion of the world except for is pure philosophy. It's the invention of men. Forget it. Of the four that are left, they're not based in philosophy. They're based in the lives and teaching of their founder, Abraham, founded on life and teaching of Abraham. Or excuse me, Judaism, based on the life and teaching of Abraham. Buddhism, based on the life and teaching of Gautama, the first Buddha. Buddha is a title, he's not a man. Gautama was the first Buddha. Islam, based on the life and teaching of Muhammad. And Christianity, based on the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, here are the facts. Abraham died about 2000 BC at the age of 175. He was buried in the Holy Land at a place called Machpelah, and he was put in a tomb alongside his wife, Sarah. His body's still in the tomb. Abraham was just a man. Gautama, the first Buddha, died about 500 years before Christ. He was 80 years old. He died on a pilgrimage into the Himalayas. What was he going on a pilgrimage to do? He said in his own words, I go to find the truth. Isn't that ironic? Here's a guy that millions are following, and he said at age 80, I'm going up to see if I can find the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. So he goes up into the Himalayas looking for truth. He dies up there. They bury him in a Himalayan village called Kusanara. Gautama's body's still in the grave because he's just a man. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, died June 8th, 632 AD at the age of 62. When he died, they buried him in a tomb at Medina in western Saudi Arabia, just north of Mecca. People pilgrimage there by the hundreds of thousands to see his tomb because you see Muhammad's still in it because Muhammad's just a man. Jesus Christ died on or about April 6th, 30 AD at the age of 33. He was buried in a tomb in Jerusalem, sealed with a stone and guarded by soldiers to keep the body in the grave, but all those efforts failed. His body isn't there, and do you know why? Because he isn't just a man. He's God in human flesh. And he isn't in the tomb because he isn't dead. Sin couldn't have him, death couldn't defeat him, the grave couldn't hold him, he's the resurrection and the life. He conquered sin, death, and the grave for us. The tomb is empty because he ain't in it. Jesus is alive. And you know what he said? You believe in me, you're gonna live forever too. That is the good news of Easter. That's the good news of Easter. That's why when Jesus stood by the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, the young man, the youngest brother of the two sisters, Mary and Martha, 
who lived in the little village of Bethany on the backside of the Mount of Olives, about two miles from Jerusalem, east of the city. Lazarus is dead. Martha and the girls are, are they're, they're destroyed. And Jesus comes and he says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to this. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you already tell them? Martha, Mary, look, you believe in me, you're going to live even if you die. Your body may die, but you won't. Your body may be dead in a tomb, but you're going to be alive. And if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. Your body will, but you never will. Because you believe in me, I'm the resurrection and the life. You're alive right now. You're going to go from life to life. There's no death for you. And then he said to her, do you believe this? People, that's the question of the ages. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And people, Jesus' question is still being asked today. He's asking it today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, paying your penalty? Do you believe he was taken down and buried in a tomb? Do you believe he rose again the third day, conquering sin, death, and the grave, and he's alive? Do you believe this? Paul said in Corinthians 15, verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, it doesn't matter if you believe the creation story or not, you're still subject to it because it's true. All humanity came from Adam and Eve, the progenitors of the human race. All of us came from them. Adam and Eve sinned in that garden. They broke the relationship with God, and that broken relationship, that sin has been passed on to every single one of us, for all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory, all of us. The wages of sin is death. Death is separation, separation from God. You die physically while you're still dead spiritually, you'll be separated from God eternally. We inherited that from Adam and Eve. We're born in it. We're sinners by nature and by choice. As in Adam, all die. But all in Christ shall be made alive. You see, we are all in Adam, but we are not all in Christ. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 13, the way you are in Christ, he said you are included in Christ when you heard and believed the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were saved. What is the gospel? Romans 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, he's God in human flesh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that he died, he was buried, and rose again? Do you believe he lived, ate, appeared, 
to hundreds, has transformed the lives of millions over the last 2,000 years, of which I am one, of which there are many in this room today who have been transformed by believing this truth. Do you believe this? If you do, then you know the joy of what the resurrection means. You know the joy of what Max Lucado wrote in one of his books. Because of Christ and the resurrection, I know that my life is not futile. I know that my sins are not fatal. And I know that my death is not final. I'm going to live because Jesus lives. See, there's been a divine explosion in the tomb of Jesus. He's alive, and he's coming again. And everyone who believes in him will live forever too. You see, the angel's message to the women at the tomb that first Easter morning is still good news. Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. There's been a divine explosion of life. And the good news is that divine explosion of life is still happening in the lives of everyone who believes. That's the good news of Easter. God, thank you for this great truth. It's so simple. I don't know how I missed it all those years. I just never knew, but now I do. Jesus, you are God in human flesh. You lived a sinless life. You went to a cross and died there for my sin and the sin of the world. You paid our penalty. You were buried in a tomb, and three days later you rose again. You conquered sin, death, and the grave, and you're alive. And you're offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who will believe and receive you.